and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here, here, news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And today we are wrapping up our four-week series featuring uh, the great work of Yuri Rosovsky and his 2007 production of Sweeney Todd, um, aired for you um, these past few weeks with the permission of Yuri Rosovsky and courtesy of Blackstone Audiobooks, blackstoneaudio.com. And very exciting week for Yuri and company. Um, his Hollywood Theater of the Ear production of The Mark of Zorro just got nominated for a Grammy Best Spoken Word Audio Production and Wow, that's pretty awesome. Um, I'm going to play a short clip of this. It's got Val Kilmer in it, along with a fully star-studded cast in this uh, amazing production. We have an agreement, Sergeant Gonzalez, do we not? We can be amigos, and I can forget the wide difference in birth and breeding that yawns between us, but only as long as you curb your tongue and stand my compañero. Your boasts amuse me, so I buy you wine and endure your endless prattle. But mock me again, either in public or private, and the agreement ends. Your pardon, caballero, and my very good amigo. Hereafter, if any man asks, you are nimble of wit and quick with the blade, always ready to fight or to make love. You are a man of action, a pad caballero, a hidalgo's hidalgo. Ha! Does anyone here dare deny it? I do. But that is my privilege. You, on the other hand, have leave neither to boast of virtues I do not possess, nor to ridicule so-called faults I do possess. A thousand pardons, Don Diego. Your honey, senor. Never seem to run out of conversation, Sergeant. Surely you have many other things to talk about. See, Don Diego, in fact, we have just been speaking of this notorious El Zorro. El Dreary. I have been remarking that wherever I am, this pretty Zorro is not. Obviously, he fears you, Sarge. Obviously. But I am hoping the good saints will grant me the chance of facing him some fine day, that I may claim the reward offered by the governor. With which you will pay your bar bill. Is that not so? I am weary of hearing rumors about this man. Half the Pueblo fears him and the other half praises him. And no one can keep quiet about him. Bah! He is nothing but a cutthroat, a thief, and a coward! Ha! A coward, you say? Only a coward hides his face behind a mask. Perhaps without the mask he cringes in terror of his own shadow. But once he puts it on, he is fearless. Why, the stories I hear... Meal, mush, and goat's milk. Zorro fears a contest with Pedro Gonzalez, and rightly so. Oh, I for one am certain he could never best you in a bragging competition. If I ever catch up with him... Run him through if you can, and tell me about it afterwards. Until then, spare me. It will be a pretty story, and you shall have it entire. Blow, clad, blow! Oh. How I played with him, how I laughed at him as we fought. Ha, ha, ha! How I pressed him back, and after a time, sliced off his head. Afterward, but not now. Landlord... More wine for the sergeant. The only way to stop his boasting is to make his throat so slick with wine that the words cannot climb out of it. Gladly, Don Diego. What? You are not joining me? I just ran over for a pot of honey. My servants refuse to go out in this weather. Well, at least I am brave enough for that. My 
mission now accomplished, like your Zorro, I disappear into the night. Wait! I shall escort you safely home through the rain. Then you can instruct me in poetry and philosophy while we sample your excellent wine cellar. I do not need an armed escort to cross the plaza, nor help in consuming my wine. Buenos Aires, one and all. There goes a fine figure of a man. See, he may not indulge in heroics or gallantry, but he is not afraid to pay for his drinks. What are you implying, ample one? Nothing, good sergeant, nothing. Dare you mock my bosom friend Diego de la Vega, you big-bellied barkeeper? No, 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 I was mocking you. Uh, that is... Listen to me, pudgy publican. He is my amigo, the caballero. And I would have you speak of him with respect. So what if he does not know one end of a sword from the other? So what if he ignores the dark-eyed senoritas? Let's look at him. Had I his youth, and physique, and handsome face, and riches, ha! <laughs> there would be a stream of broken hearts from San Diego de la Cala to San Francisco de Assis. And broken heads, no doubt. Ha! And broken heads, my abdominous amigo. I would rule the country. No upstart would stand long in my way. <laughs> Out with blade and at him. Cross Pedro Gonzalez, eh? <sighs> to the shoulder, neatly. <sighs> to the leg. <laughs> What's that we here? Two of you against one? So much the better, senores. We love brave arts. <laughs> at you, don't die. Out one side, Gelado. <laughs> Where this petty El Zorro only before me, here and now. You summoned me, Senor? El Zorro. At your service. I've been meaning to pay you a call. Uh, please, Senor El Zorro. No one here is worth robbing, especially me. Uh, have a drink on the house. Have two. Fear not, landlord. It is the sergeant I have business with. Business? With me? See, si. Four days ago on the road between here and San Gabriel Mission, you brutally whipped a native who had won your dislike. How does it concern you, my pretty highwayman? I am the man's friend, and I have come to punish you. You? Punish me? Ha! <laughs> you are as good as dead, mi amigo. His Excellency has offered a pretty price for your carcass, alive or preferably dead, if you are a religious man. Say your prayers. There is no need for prayers, at least not for me. Then I must do my duty. Sergeant Gonzalez blew out the ends of his mustache and came forward carefully. He was taking no chances. We had all heard of the bandito's skill with a blade. And when the sergeant was within the proper distance, he jumped back as if a snake had risen to strike. For Zorro had allowed one hand to come from beneath his cloak, and that hand held a pistol. Back, sergeant. Ha! Huh. So, that is the way of it. Can it be, senor, that you lack the courage you pretend to possess? The blade is for you. The pistol is to keep observers from becoming participants. Quickly, senores, to that far corner, por favor. Gracias. And now, Sergeant, on guard. 
the blades clashed. Sergeant Gonzalez was used to fighting men who gave ground when they pleased and took it when they could. But here, he faced a man who fought in quite a different spirit. For El Zorro, it appeared, was as if rooted to one spot. Good! Standing like a piece of the hills, Jupete! Is it against your religion to take a step? You cannot taunt me into doing so. Sergeant Gonzalez battled furiously, only to be turned back again and again. All his tricks countered almost before he tried. You've had enough of playing. It is time for your punishment. And suddenly, Zoro began to press the fighting, taking step after step, slowly and methodically going forward and forcing the big sergeant backward. The tip of his sword seemed a serpent's head with a thousand tongues. We are interrupted, senor. I regret it, for I will not have time to give you the punishment you deserve. What is going on in there? Open up! We have El Zorro here! Deneo. Por favor, do not kill the sergeant! I beg of you! He owes me money! For you, landlord, I will spare him. But I will leave him with a souvenir of our little encounter. Ah, my face! Ah, my face! That for a man who mistreats helpless indios. Until a later time, senor. Adios. Ah, after him! Ah, my face! My face! That was a sample from um, this Mark of Zorro, a piece by Yuri Rosovsky. Just got nominated for a Grammy, released by Blackstone Audiobooks, blackstoneaudio.com, and available on Audible. Audible.com um, is where I picked it up. They do a, they're do they doing a better job than they have in the past of encoding um, full cast audio drama productions um, to keep most of their original glory in there. Um, I'll say that the uh, version of Sweeney Todd you've been hearing the last few weeks has been in the original stereo from the CD compilation that was released by Blackstone and not an audible recording, uh, which even at their better rates do decline a bit in quality, but um, that, make, that matters more with audio drama. Um, for audiobooks, um, usually it's acceptable, but um, if you are a super audiophile, that may be important to you. Other people find it, like me, very, very convenient just to be able to grab my Android device and bring my Audible app with me everywhere and have stories easily at my fingertips. Um, like it a lot. And, um, you know, if that's if you've got an audio lover in your life, there are some great things you can purchase. Ba- buy them something through Blackstone Audiobooks. There are some affiliate links up at RadioDramaRevival.com. Um, you help out the show a little bit. Um, as well as hitting up um, the Audible trial link, audibletrial.com forward slash radiodrama. Gets you for a free 14-day trial. And, of course, you can always send us money directly. Radio Drama Revival um, does not go towards big corporate bankers. goes towards making this show happen each week, um, buying equipment and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's kind of the Christmas commercialization push, but really huge news, um, the, the Grammy nomination. Um, Yuri has has quite a, a, a range of awards um in his in his career in audio um every pretty much everything he's won not his first grammy nominations also won a peabody award and uh numerous numerous things in the uh, audio awards from the audiobooks publishers association so um congrats yuri uh, well deserved and yeah let's move on to the last chapter of sweeney todd um just after this we have a review from captain radio captain radio has gotten the count of monte cristo a new adaptation of that classic story 
Greetings, Audionauts. Captain Radio here with a review of Lifehouse Productions' audio drama adaptation of Alexandre Dumas' classic novel, The Count of Monte Cristo, made possible by Rode Microphones. Passionate, unique audio transforms our world. You start with Rode. Visit RodeMic.com. That's R-O-D-E-M-I-C.com. Edmond Dantes was a newly promoted captain with a charming fiancée. Little did he know, his closest friends were plotting against him. Jealousy had darkened their hearts and compelled them to falsely accuse him of treason. Now, a naive promise made to his dying captain may cost Edmond his bright future as well as his freedom. While employing an anonymous but talented cast and taking reasonable but conspicuous plot liberties to squash Alexandre Dumas' convoluted Count of Monte Cristo saga into an hour's telling, Lifehouse producer Wayne Scott still maintains purposeful pacing emblazoned with cinematic scope. In this scene from part one, protagonist Edmund Dantes confronts Fernand Mondego, one of two jealous friends who betray Edmund just as he is about to wed gracious beauty Mercedes Herrera. I will be avenged! (laughs) Better start praying. Where you are going, only God can avenge you. Later, when Edmund seems clear to false allegations, without apparent cause or public trial, the royal prosecutor Gerard de Villefort instead imperiously condemns Edmund to life imprisonment in the fearful Chateau d'If prison. During the next 17 grinding years in the prison shadows, Edmund encounters and befriends an humble but worldly mentor, Abi Faria, who trains him in combat and cunning while vainly praying for his defiant protege to abandon his vengeful rancor. As the dying priest at last succumbs to a lingering illness, he reveals the location of a huge hidden treasure on the remote Isle of Monte Cristo, as well as a morbid but effective means of escape. As Edmund flees, he inadvertently saves a drowning fellow escapee, Jacopo. They join Luigi Vampa, an affable Italian fugitive, and his bandit companions for several months of smuggling and deadly swordplay. Eventually, Edmund and Jacopo take leave to retrieve the hidden treasure trove that promptly transforms Edmund into the Count of Monte Cristo. In part two, the Novo-Riche Count providentially spares Albert, the ingenuous young son of Mercedes and Fernand, from a deadly kidnapping. As the young Viscount departs the scene of the assault in Edmund's carriage... Luigi, are you hurt? No, my friend! Help me up! Everyone up! The ruse won? Yes. Thank you, Monsieur Vampa. Here is the money we agreed on for a farce well played. (laughs) Let me know if you want us to kidnap anyone else, Dantes. Albert introduces Edmund into the exclusive and prosperous world of Parisian nobility. Once inside, the mysterious, lavishly generous, and soon wildly popular Count subtly weaves his ingenious web that slowly undermines and entraps his betrayers. When Edmund's dark drive for revenge unexpectedly forces a choice between sparing an innocent life or his own, he comes face to face with the critical consequences of his quest. Gather the family this December to hear a very special radio drama revival podcast of Lifehouse Productions' The Count of Monte Cristo, or order this wonderful rendition of a classic action adventure now from theateronthair.com. Until next time, Audionauts, this is Captain Radio, signing off. All right, thank you, Captain Radio, CaptainRadio.com, and as he mentioned, The Count of Monte Cristo will be coming soon to Radio Drum Revivals early, possibly next week. And yeah, if you want to send in your stuff, uh, submit link up at radiodramarevival.com. And on to our feature this week, Yuri Rusovsky's Sweeney Todd and the String of Pearls, the final chapter. To a starving man, and one who seemed completely abandoned of hope, Lovett's Bakehouse, with an unlimited leave to eat as much as possible, 
must, of course, present itself in the most desirable and lively colors. No wonder that, banishing all scruple, a man so pleased would take the situation with very little inquiry. Ugh, damn these pies. In faith, I cannot eat another one of them. But people will tire of good things. Tis a remarkably well-authenticated fact that human nature ever leans towards discontent. A plagant. I must find some way out of here, if only to get a decent meal. It was with such a feeling as this that he now set about taking a careful and accurate survey of the place. Taking a little lamp in his hand, he began to peer into every corner of it. Hello. What's this? Is it? I... Writing on the wall. In blood. Whatever unhappy wretch reads these lines may bid adieu to the world and all hope. In sooth, who would read these lines who had not abandoned hope ere setting foot in this tomb? Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Aye, this is hell. That sound again seems to emanate from the meat chamber. Hang it if the chamber has not been restocked since this morning, but... But how? Perhaps... Uh, behind this door. <gasps> Bodies. Human corpses. Strewn about like discarded mannequins. Hung from the rafters like sides of beef. Uh, a god. Uh, One of them is alive. Probably Sweeney Todd had been, for the greater part of his life, aiming at the possession of extensive pecuniary resources. No doubt, by the aid of a superior intellect and a mind full of craft and design, he had managed to make others subservient to his views. Now that those views were answered and his underlings and accomplices were no longer required, they became positively dangerous. He subscribed to that cold-blooded policy which teaches that it is safer to destroy than to cast away the tools by which a man carves his way to power and fortune. What's wrong now, Todd? The oven's again, is it? It's shaving chair and working proper. What's wrong with it? It won't roll over when I pause the lever. Mm. You must be giving it quite a workout. The mechanical devices I manufacture never break down. You made it, you fix it. Not without a consideration. I'm a man of business, you know. Of course, of course. Now get on with it. In advance. I had a devil of a time getting you to pay me for building and installing it. If I hadn't threatened to expose your little side line. Oh, very well, very well. Here. Now, hurry. My shop opens in half hour. Uh, let me see now. For Evan, what a clever contraption we have here. Oh. One of my best. 
A piece of the florin turns upon a center. When a belt is withdrawn by means of the lever in your parlor, the chair swings completely round, and its twin on the undersurface comes up ready for the next customer. If you finished admiring your handicraft, suppose you get on with it? Blimey, you're a crab cove. Go work the lever. Half a mo. I'm pulling the lever now. Look, see? Nothing happens. Mm. She's stuck all right. You keep it oiled up like I told you. Oiled up and cleaned regular. Could be wharf floorboards. Yeah. Sit in a chair and wiggle round a bit. Uh, see if she feels snug to you. Nay. If anything, she feels a mite loose. How long she been stuck like this? Well, ever since I rigged up this here push button in the floor. Which push button? This one! <laughs> Oh, well, that'd be one less tongue to worry over. <laughs> what do you want? You are in need of a lad, sir. To mind your shop, I suppose. I shall be glad to take the situation. You don't seem likely to want such a place. Who and what are you? I am an orphan. I was left in the care of a mother-in-law. I don't like her. She was cruel to me and I ran away. Where from? Oxford. Oxford? Oxford? Then nobody knows you're in London, I suppose, me little lad. No one. If I don't get something to do, I shall have to go back, which I don't like the idea of at all. I'd rather be anything in London than go back to Mrs Green. Green, eh? And what's your name? Charlie Green, of course. You see, my name's the same as hers, because she married my father. Uh, hark you, me lad. I feels disposed to take you on account of your friendless condition. I feels for you. I does. I'm an orphan myself, that's a fact. <laughs> and I, I, I'm a poor orphan myself, with nothing but my strong sense of religion to support me. I'll um, take you on trial. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. No, oh, don't mention it. Your duties will consist of running, fetching, tidying, and minding the shop if I happens to be absent. You'll have six months a day, but nothing else from me. Out of that, you provide yourself with food, and the cheapest and the best thing you can do is to go always to Lovett's in Bell Yard and have yourself a pie for your dinner. <laughs> You'll sleep at night here in the shop, run messages, see and hear much, but if you gossips about me and my affairs, I'll cut your blooming throat. You may depend upon me, sir. I'm only too happy in being taken into the service of such a respectable gentleman. Respectable gentleman. Nothing appears to be broken. Oh, oh, me back feels like it's broke in pieces, like a jar of plate. Peace, peace, lad. Oh. You must remain still until you fully recover from your misadventure. Oh. You're very fortunate. You fell some 20 feet, but the heap of corpses below you broke your fall. Oh, blimey, I've been bouncing off dead folks. Aye, 
And had I not dragged you out of the room in the nick of time, a fresh cadaver would have fallen upon you and crushed you. Oh, thanks, mister. Where am I? This is the bakehouse of the Lovett Pie Manufactory. And who are you? Well, the manufacturer. That is, I am the man who mixes and bakes the pies. Oh, you don't say so. You're a cove I've always wanted to shake hands with. Your pies is the rummest I ever ate. Save your praise, lad. I only operate the automata that make the collations. How did I get here? Apparently, you spilled out of some sort of revolving mechanism above. I knows that. I mean... One minute, I'm in the shop of Sweeney Todd. And the next, I'm below Mrs. Lovett's. A block away. The vault is quite extensive. Apparently, by its means, the two shops communicate. I'll yeah. warrant that it belongs to the labyrinthian caverns under the city that date from Roman times. Right mysterious this is. And sinister as well, I oh. fear. You put the right name on. Hargy, mister. Me master. This here barber Sweeney Todd is a regular hanging chains, a murderous rogue. I've always suspected as much, and now I know for sure. He got a trick shaving chair, you see. If he's shaving a client, what got any goods on him? Bang! The client drops through the floor, and the swag drops in Mr. Todd's purse. Diabolical. What do you fancy? Finds a gallow bird like Todd. A bunch of dead blokes. Mistress Lovett, the pie lady. Obviously the chamber in which I found you is a secret repository for your master's victims. It is also some sort of work room, for I discovered there a long table and numerous tools hanging from the walls. What kinds of tools? Curious ones, I vow. All manners of saws and blades and knives. Of the sort a chirurgeon might employ, or a... Or... Or a butcher. Joanna found herself in the situation she had coveted, namely to be alone in the shop of Sweeney Todd and to be able to make what examination of it she pleased. Charlie! <gasps> Aye, sir. Has uh, anyone been in? Uh, I. Who? Speak, speak out. I confound you. you. You mumble so I can hardly hear you. A gentleman to be shaved and he went away again. I don't know what put you in such a passion, Mr. Todd. I'm sure nothing... What's it to you? Begin to think of shutting up, I think, for we'll have no more customers tonight, you know. I'm tired now. You, you've got to sleep under the counter, you know. Aye, sir. You told me so. I dare say I should be very comfortable there. You've not been peeping and prying about, has you? Not at all. Not looking even into that cupboard, I suppose, eh? It ain't locked, but there's no reason why you should look into it. I should not think of taking such a liberty. Not that there be any secrets in. Of course not. But I object to peeping and prying upon Christian principle. Thou shalt not snoop. Well, uh, Mazda, I want a clean shave. Colonel Jeffrey. 
Oh, tis rather late. I mean, I suppose you would not like to wait till morning. I don't know if I've got any more hot water. Oh, cold will do. Oh, if you must, you must. But, but cold, bless you, no, sir. We never shave in cold water. Tis terrible late, Mr. Todd. Shouldn't we... Uh, Charlie, uh, take the gentleman's hat. Aye, sir. Colonel, tis I, Joanna. I know. Hush. Uh, sit down, sir, and we'll soon settle the business. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I can't go to bed comfortable without a clean shave, do you see? I have come up from Braintree with beasts on commission, and I'm staying at the Bull's Head, do you see? Oh, indeed, the Bull's Head. I mean, you're going swank. Aye, that I am, Master. Why, I brought up a matter of 220 beasts, I did, do you see? And was on my pony, as good a stepper as you'd wish. I sold them all, do you see, for 550 pun. <laughs> good work, that, do you see? And only 42 of them was my beast, do you see? Uh, Charlie, uh, get some hot water, there's a good lad. So, um, you were saying, sir, what that you sold them all? Aye, Master, I did. I've got the money in my pocket now, in banknotes. I never leaves my money about at inns, do you see, Master? Safe find, safe find, you see? I carries it about with me. Oh, a good plan, too. <laughs> uh, Charlie! Aye, sir? Whilst I'm polishing off this gentleman, you may as well just run to Mr. Laurie at Telson's and ask for his wig. We'll have to do it in the morning and may as well have it the first thing in the day uh, to begin with. You needn't hurry, neither. We'll shut up when he comes back. Can I not stay and study you at your craft, Mr. Todd? Go on, my boy. Here's a shilling. Buy yourself a treat. Oh, thank the generous uh, gentleman, Charlie, and uh, run along. Sir, you mustn't be alone with Sweeney Todd. Eh? Uh, that is, if I stay, I can render the gentleman some service. Polish his boots. I appreciate your offer, laddie, but you must obey your master, you see. Don't be like my own boy, Joe. Joe, you see, Master, was ever disrespectful and at last ran off and never came back. I'm certain, sir, that he never would have left you had he perceived that you were in danger. Assuredly, in such an instance, you see, I would have urged the lad to flee and save himself. But... A mouthy lad, isn't he? <laughs> now get the blooming hell out of here or else. Aye, Mr. Todd. See you again, lad, I trow. A nice-looking little lad, that. Uh, Charlie, uh, think you so? I do. Oh, I, sir, he's, uh, he's no lad at all. Is he not? Oh, no. What is he, then? A midget? A girl, obviously. <gasps> Alas, you say? I never would have guessed. Oh, you must have the eyes of a bat. That old man makes spectacles. You ought to go round to his shop and get a pair. You see, Charlie's really a comely young neighbour girl, name of Johanna. She come around a snoop, counterfeiting an orphan boy, wanting a situation. So I, I gives her one, thinking all the better to keep me eye on her. <laughs> Why the masquerade, do you suppose? Oh, disguises is quite the fashion in London these days, sir. I counterfeited a swell myself just a fortnight ago to cousin a moneylender. But you wouldn't know anything about such things, would you, sir? Why, no, of course not. In Miss Johanna's case, she hopes to find a string of pearls. The same pretty little string of pearls that you is after, Colonel! That hideous sound again. 
Another hapless victim has fallen into the trap. Oh, my God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, lay off that churchy stuff and concentrate. We've got to escape. Escape? A consummation devoutly to be wished. Alas, O oh youth, we twain are prisoners here. They've locked us in. There are no means of egress. See here, Mr. Sourguts. We got in, didn't we? If there's ways in, there's got to be ways out. But how? That's what me and you got to smoke out. Jonas Williams? In the shadows, boys, quickly. Where's them bloody pies? On the lift, Mr. Stravitz. Cooling. I've got customers waiting. They've called enough. Hoist them up here. She gone. Dear Lord. I can't. I shan't. Get a grip, mate. Can't what? Shan't what? Send up any more of those pies for the unsuspecting. How can I? Knowing their ghastly contents. You must, though. Because if you don't, Sweeney Todd'll be a-coming down them stairs with the lovett wench on his arm and a razor in his fist. I can't bring myself to do it, I tell you. Oh, show me and I'll do it. I prefer certain death to participating in further crimes. Well, I don't. Makes your choice, mate. You can get my blood on your hands, or you can feed already dead blokes to some living ones. Blood caught between Scylla and Charybdis. What is it to be? You see the platform over there? With all them pies on? The very one. When you turn that wheel, it rises through a trap into the shop. Oh! Oh! Me back! Lord! Lord, what evil destiny has placed me here? It would have been quite clear to anyone who looked at Sweeney Todd as he took his route from his own shop in Fleet Street to Bell Yard Temple Bar that it was not to eat pies he went there. And when is all this to have an end, Sweeney Todd? You has been supposedly providing me such a division of the spoils as shall enable me with an ample independence to appear in the salons of Paris. I ask you now, when is this to be? You are very impatient. Impatient? Impatient? Is it well, then, that I should have no account? God, if you had the dreams I sometimes has. Dreams? <laughs> well, go, go, go to that cupboard. You'll see a bottle. What do you mean, this bottle? I'm forced to drink or I shall kill myself or go mad or denounce you. Mm. Oh, no. Not a bloody glass. Give me the old bloody bottle, quick. Here it is, dear. Oh. Mmm. Mmm. Oh. Oh, I... Oh, I'm better now. Much better now. It is horrible, bloody horrible, but I am better. And I must, and I will have an account at once. Ah, uh, Sweeney Todd, what an enemy you has been to me. Oh, fie, the worst enemy you ever had is in that bottle. Now, give it to me. No, 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 no. I must have that to drown thought. Indeed. <laughs> Can you be so superstitious? I presume you're afeard of your reception in another world? No, no. Oh, no. You and I, we, we don't believe in no bloody hereafter, Sweeney Todd. 
If we did, we should go raving mad to think what we done. Oh, no, no. No, we dare not. We, <laughs> we dare not. No, enough of this. You'll have an account tomorrow evening. When you find yourself in possession of 20,000 quid, <laughs> you won't accuse me of having been unmindful of your interests. 20,000 quid? When shall I have it? When? You shall have the sum tomorrow. It don't matter to me at all. Uh, you may be off tomorrow night if you likes. Until then, best avoid the brandy as much as you can. Uh, let me put it away for you. No, no. It ain't in this bloody house that I can wean myself off my only solace. I may do so abroad, but not here. Oh, well, it can't matter. Get yourself good and foxed for all I cares. It can't matter one whit. Where are you off to in such a hurry? Don't tell me you've got a doxy tucked away somewheres. <laughs> Perhaps I do. Ooh, but me a kiss your ugly mug. Someone who just can't help herself. For some time after Todd left his shop, Joanna could scarcely believe that she was sufficiently alone to dare to look about her. But as minute after minute passed away, and no sound indicative of his speedy return fell upon her ears, she gathered her courage. Oh, nothing. If I had but time, I would make an attempt to search that parlour, but I daren't yet. I must be more sure of the continued absence of Todd before I make any such attempt. Oh, yes, the cupboard. The cupboard door was not closed shut. She peeped in. On the first shelf was a hat. A hat such as a Braintree farmer might wear. Oh, Geoffrey's hat. The gallant fool. Todd has murdered him. <laughs> Joanna covered her face with her hands and stood there for a long, long time. And when she uncovered her <laughs> eyes, she saw... What are you blubbering about? <laughs> what the devil? Sorry, sir. I am, uh, uh, tomorrow, I must have it out. Have what out? My tooth, sir. Tis been aching for some hours. Oh, has it now? Did you ever have the toothache, Mr. Todd? If you did, you can feel for me and not wonder that... Uh, which of them teeth is it? Uh, what? No, show me the tooth. What's hurting? Tis this one, right? <coughs> now, there, now. It won't be troubling you no more, huh? These other two teeth won't neither. See here, string them up in a necklace, huh? Them's the only pearls you'll get from me, my girl, yeah? Oh, you, you found me out. Oh, it wasn't difficult, Johanna Oakley. What, what, what are you going to do to me? Oh, remove them britches and I'll show you. Oh, no! Oh, and long anchoring to dance the blanket hornpipe with you. No more of that. Unless you want more pearls for your necklace. Not that anyone can hear you with a shop all shuttered and all, but I hate loud noises. Then you're going to hate this. Dearest Joe, what has he done to you? Oh, not as much as he would have had it not been for your timely appearance. I have been watching this establishment from the shadow since you first entered it. Oh, Joanna, well, your face is all red and swollen. Your mouth is bloody. Suffer me to staunch it with my kerchief. Oh, 
Will you ever forgive me? For, for saving my life? Oh, for convincing you to risk this dreadful peril? Mm. Oh, the moment you donned Cousin Albert's clothes, I began repenting our scheme. I hastened to the magistrate, but he called me a silly fabulist and sent me on my way. So... I borrowed Brother's Splintlock. He's off in His Majesty's service, you know, settling some disquiet in the colonies. I put on my most concealing cloak and waited outside this shop until I heard you scream. Oh, it took me ever so much time to find a back way in, or I would have prevented the villain from so violently using you. Oh, that is of no moment. What if Todd himself? Have you killed him? Lord, no, bless you, dear. Though... He does appear to be inflicted with extreme gastric distress. Then, quickly, Arabella, help me rise. We must tie ourselves to the authorities. They must rush the villain to a surgeon's and thence to Newgate. We shan't allow Mr. Todd to cheat the hangman. It wants five minutes to nine, and Mrs. Lovett's shop is filling with persons anxious to devour or carry away one or more of the nine o'clock batch of savoury, delightful, gushing gravy pies. Fire, gentlemen! Don't push so! You'll be in time, I tell you. Oh, Mrs. Lovett, you charmer. I hope you've ordered enough pies to be made tonight. Oh, there'll be plenty. All right, lads. Pie's coming up from below. Now, let me work the lift for you, Mrs. Lovett. You look weak and unwell. Oh, you're very kind, I'm sure. I do got me a devilish fever, but I just pause on this bell rope like this, see? And me cook hauls the pies up from the bakehouse under the shop. But soft, what pies from yonder pallet rise? Me, voila de as the froggies say. Hey, look. Something stirs under the pies. <laughs> Tis Tobias, the barber's lad. Ladies, gents, stand back. Don't eat them pies. You don't want them, believe me. They're made of human flesh. That is false. What? Stay false. in, and I can prove it. The witch is in league with Sweeney Totchies. He kills them and she bakes them. Down there in that cellar is a dozen dead coves waiting for the grinder. And the live bloke, what cooks him, is there too and itching to whittle the whole scrap. Go down and see for yourselves. Oh, oh, bloody hell. Oh, oh, me, me poisoned. <laughs> Upon depositing Joanna in the hands of a capable physician, Arabella reported the late events at the barbershop to the local magistrate. There she met the newly liberated Tobias and Jonas, who disclosed to her all that transpired in Bell Yard. Refresh yourself, friends, but for your own sake, as your fare has been but indifferent for some time, I beg you to be sparing. I will. Thank you. Tis right fine of you to take us to your own house and treat us so handsome. As we have shared tribulation, so let us rejoice together in our shared deliverance. But, sir, though you are free now from your ghastly office in that subterranean jail, 
Yet you appear very unhappy. Madam, I am unhappy. The hope, the dream of my life has gone from me. You've got to excuse him, miss. The blokes are regular gloomy guts. Oh, fie, Tobias. We must observe Christian charity and compassion. Sir, unburden yourself and tell us what so preys upon your mind. I am not what I seem. I am an orphan who was brought up by an uncle with every expectation that he would be kind and liberal to me. But to his exceeding anger, he found me very different from what he wished. And then I put the finishing stroke to his displeasure by committing the greatest crime that in his eyes I could commit. I fell in love. He said, you must give up all love nonsense if you wish to preserve my favor. Pray, what did you do? Did you give up your love? No, miss. If he had asked me to give up my life, that would have been much easier to me. Instead, I embarked on an expedition to explore some rich tropical island. Fascinating. I want to do that someday. I and the fair girl upon whom I fixed my best hopes and affections parted after many tears and protestations of fidelity. I'll skip all that and get to the good part. Did you have to fight savages and pirates? What about storms? They're supposed to have right tremendous storms in the tropics. Disclose rather what transpired when you and your true love reunited. Alas, we never reunited. As the latter surmised, we encountered numerous perils, not only of men and sea, but of nature. The ague, monsoons, scurvy, creatures poisonous and ravenous, scorching heat, cholera. We battled all these, even as my associates and I warred with white thieves and dusky cannibals. We were lucky to escape with our lives, much less our treasure. Even so, two of us did escape, though in possession of only a moat of the wealth we uncovered on the island. And your lady? On our return voyage, ravaged by disease and the strains of our travail, I despaired of surviving the voyage, so I entrusted the last remnant of my fortune to my best friend and begged him to take it to her whom I loved. He and I were separated during a typhoon in which our ship was wrecked utterly. I was preserved and got on board a merchant vessel bound for England, where I arrived absolutely penniless. In London, I learned that my uncle had died in my absence and left his entire estate to a temperance society. Of the disposition of my friend, I have managed to learn nothing. Well, but you found your beloved all right. Nay, miss. I did not care to seek her out. Why ever not? How could I face her as an impoverished wretch, broken in health and spirit? With her pure, loving character, she would have taken me to her bosom even had I come to her legless and armless. Nay, I would not place such a burden on one whom I loved more than life itself. So you walked away and into Mrs. Lovett's clutches without giving your lady an opportunity to decide herself whether she would have you or no. If I was a girl, I wouldn't have him. I had hoped that eventually she would forget me and find another more worthy of her. I find it passing strange, sir, that you have told me all your history, but have thought proper, as you were quite justified in doing so, to withhold your name. Tis Jonas Williams. I heard the Lovett wench call him so. Learn, Tobias, as I have from my novels, 
that ruined gentlemen frequently employ nom de guerre to conceal their fallen condition from their loved ones. Indeed, I have done just that. In faith, I already know your true name. Tis Mark Ingestry. Slife! I know more than that. The name of your young lady is Joanna Oakley. Miss Johanna? My Miss Johanna loves this sour guts. Are you woman or devil that you know what I have never breathed to you? I regret to relate that your friend Thornhill died, not on the sea, but at the hands of Sweeney Todd. As for Joanna Oakley, I can aver that she was faithful to you and remains sworn to no other man on earth but yourself. In sooth, in lately braving ravishment and death for your sake, she narrowly escaped both, but not entirely unscathed. Oh, my Joanna, I am unworthy of you. Truer words was never spoke. That is entirely a subject for the young lady's own consideration. Joanna! Mark? Mark! Joanna! Oh, are you two on meeting here? Oh. Oh, my mm. darling, your face. It's only a black eye. Put a stake on it. Fret not, Mr. Engestry. The disfigurement will wane by and by. I care not about appearances. Only the pain that engendered them. Oh, my poor Joanna. I would willingly endure much more to effect this reunion. It would be quite impossible if we had the will to attempt it for us to go through the scene that next took place between Joanna Oakley and Mark Ingestry in Arabella's kitchen. For about half an hour, they quite forgot where they were or that there was anyone in the world but themselves. At the end of the period of time, though, Arabella, who had been observing them with fond, moist eyes, spoke up. Are you both happy now? Very, very. Happy. Oh, so very happy, dear young lady, that I can hardly believe in its reality. <laughs> Behold, Tobias, how true love vanquishes despair, and yet they are both so poor. What is poverty when we shall be together? <laughs> Nothing to sneeze at, same as when you're not together. I've lived a pauper all me life, and warrant you that I don't no dance through the tulips. Thank the stars, me worm has turned. Recognise these sour guts? Why, that's my string of pearls. I snatched it off Todd's writing desk myself. Oh, Mark. Now we may seek out the best surgeons in Europe and restore your health. Give them here. Wait a blooming moment there, mister. Finders keepers. They're mine now to dispose of as I please. Why, you filthy Keep little thief. Keep your blooming hands off. Prithee, take the long view, Mark. The lad saved your life. Surely he deserves his reward. I'll give the little magpie what he deserves. Oh, you ain't got the strength to give nobody nothing. Besides, I've got plans for these here trinkets. Pray, Tobias, what plans have you? Even was I feeling charitable to old sour guts. I wouldn't entrust no valuables to a cove what lost him so easy. I know a body what's far more deserving and trustworthy. Miss Johanna. Why, Tobias? Bias. Take them, Miss Jo. And thanks for all your kindnesses to me. What a fine gesture. Good lad. I accept them, Tobias, with fondness and gratitude. 
but on one condition. And what would that be? That you come and live with Mark and me and suffer us to give you a proper home, proper love and a proper education. <laughs> I accept! After all, somebody's got to look after you and keep old Sarah Guts out of trouble, just as in my novels. A happy ending. <laughs> Not I hopes for Sweeney Todd. When Mrs Lovett was picked up by officers of the law, she was found to be dead. The poison which Sweeney Todd had put into her brandy had done its work. As for Todd, that very night he passed in Newgate, and in due time, a swinging corpse was all that remained of the barber of Fleet Street. And there on the gibbet, he hung in his chains, and they do say a little black crow made a sweet little nest in old Sweeney Todd's whiskers. And he sang as he swang to and fro. Sweeney Todd, the barber, by God he were better than the play. Sweeney Todd, the barber, they buried him underneath the clay. And old Nick calls him from his grave, shouting, Wake up, Sweeney, I need a shave. And Mrs. Nick wants a permanent wave from Sweeney Todd the barber. You have been listening to the Hollywood Theatre of the Ear production of Sweeney Todd and the String of Pearls. You have heard, in alphabetical order, Rosalind Ayres as Mrs. Lovett and Joanna, Robertson Dean as Geoffrey and Thornhill, Martin Jarvis narrated and played Oakley, Phil Proctor as Hector, Moorsfield, the Taylor and Mundell. Maura Quirk as Tobias and Arabella. Bert Ross as the Captain, the Workman, Skinner and Rankley. W. Morgan Shepherd as Sweeney Todd. And Simon Templeman as Jonas. The play was written, produced and directed by Yuri Rosovsky. John Baker was co-producer. Songs were arranged and performed by Tony Barrand and John Roberts. Steve Ovitsky was music advisor. Richard Fairbanks and Alan Avenel provided sound effects. This unabridged recording was published in 2007 by Blackstone Audio, which holds the copyright. Neither this recording nor any portion of it may be reproduced or used for any purpose without prior written authorization from Blackstone Audio.
If you would like to obtain a complete catalogue of our titles or our monthly update telling you about new releases and our new collection of books on CD and MP3 CD, call 1-800-SAY-BOOK. That's 1-800-729-2665. You may also obtain the same information from our award-winning website. Our address, all one word, is www.blackstoneaudio.com. It is of good ale to you I'll sing. And to good ale I'll always cling. I like me mug filled to the brim. And I'll drink up all that you can bring. Oh, good ale, thou art my darling. Thou art my joy both night and morning. It's you that helps me through my work And from a task I'll never shirk For when I can get a good home brew Well, better than one pint I'll have two Oh, good ale, thou art my darling Thou art my joy both night and morning I loves you in the early morn. I loves you in daylight, dark or dawn. And when I'm tired, worn or spent, oh, I'll turn, turn the tap and, and ease the vent. Oh, good ale, thou art my darling. Thou art my joy, both night and morning. It's you that makes my friends my foes. It's you that makes me wear old clothes. But since you come so near me nose, it's, it's up you comes and down you goes. Oh, good ale, thou art my darling. Thou art my joy, both night and morning. All my friends from Adam's race Was to meet me here all in this place I could part from all without one fear Before, before I'd part from my good beer Oh, good ale, thou art my darling Thou art my joy both night and morning and if my wife should me despise How soon I'd give her two black eyes But if she loved me as I love thee What, what an happy couple we would be Oh, good ale, thou art my darling Thou art my joy both night and morning You've caused me debts and I've often swore That I never would drink strong ale anymore But you, for all that I'll forgive And I'll drink strong ale as long as I live Oh, good ale, thou art my darling Thou art my joy both night and morning <laughs> All right, and that was the final chapter of Sweeney Todd and the String of Pearls by Yuri Rosovsky's Hollywood Theater of the Ear, released by Blackstone Audiobooks, blackstoneaudio.com. And do check out the Mark of Zorro, uh, Yuri's latest work, which was just nominated for a Grammy. Uh, if you want something less action-packed, but more of classic theater, his uh, piece, St. Joan, 
is really, really splendid. Wonderful retelling of uh, the George Bernard Shaw. Um, took a lot of work to get the, the perfect actress for that. And it's marvelous. Marvelous wor- wordplay. Very different than all the swordplay you find in the Zorro piece. So um, whatever fits your uh, taste, Yuri probably has done something like it um, over the years, including a massively epic tailing of the Odyssey in audio drama, which is is a great way to experience that classic work. So, yeah. So thank you, Yuri, for all you've done for the medium. Um, and on to what we're doing next week uh, featuring our, you know, uh, it's kind of the holidays. We don't, uh, you know, the closest we get to feeling in the spirit is, is we do feature uh, stories about the human experience, that sort of thing. Um, next week, I think we will kick off with The Count of Monte Cristo by Lifehouse Productions, um, a newer company. And uh, this is kind of their, their signature kickoff title. And like to get some ears on that, see what you think, and um, more good stuff after that. Um, all right. Uh, in the meantime, over 200 hours of original audio drama programming at radiodramarevival.com. You can follow the latest in audio drama news. Hit us up on Twitter at Radiodrama. Search Facebook for Radio Drama Revival or iTunes Scour Radio Drama Revival. And that is a wrap for this week. Radio Drama Revival, produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh, copyright of individual shows. Remains that original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Southern Maine's Community Radio. This podcast at radiodramarevival.com is a labor love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.